What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think that at the at the orthodox heart of Christianity, even of the most of of the even of the traditions where the exclusive truth claims are most important, there is this you know there is this powerful, strong, constant teaching. You know, we see through through a glass darkly that there are things we will not understand in this lifetime, and that that reverence for mystery is also a piece of orthodoxy. Now, open your mouth and speak the word that heals The Deconstructionist Podcast is produced by Nicholas Rowe at the National Audio Preservation Society Recording Studio in Newark, Ohio. Follow us on social media at www.thedeconstructionist.com, on Facebook at Deconstructionist Podcast. Twitter at DeconstructCast and Instagram at Deconstructionist Podcast. If listening to this podcast has benefited you in any way, or if you have connected with it, or it's resonated somewhere with you, please consider making a donation. Even the smallest donations go to help John and I maintain healthy relationships with our wives and keeps their blood pressure at a healthy level. The donate link is in the show notes, or you can visit our website and click the donate tab. Here we go. All right. Christmas in July. Christmas in July. This is a Christmas present. You guys wanted strong, awesome female voices. We have delivered. I mean, besides Oprah, I don't think we can do much better. No, we can't. In, in my opinion, this is better than Oprah. I love Oprah. Don't get me wrong. I would still love to have Oprah. I would, if, if you're listening, Oprah, Miss Winfrey, yeah. 
we would love to have you on as a guest. Anytime. Anytime you want. <laughs> However, what we do have, in my opinion, better than Oprah, but we love you, Oprah, Krista freaking Tippett from On Being and from other various publications and shows. And oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh, Krista freaking Tippett. So before we get into that, because we do have a little bit of her bio for those of you who aren't familiar, um, we do reference some events, um, some things that have been going on in the world around us. Mm. Uh, we've been going through some some pretty turbulent times that we reference. And for those who tune into this podcast later and don't exactly know what we're talking about, maybe you could go into a little bit about that first. So this episode, we, we spoke with Krista Tippett um, July 8th, 2016, mm-hmm. and during that week, there was just an almost unprecedented level, um, in recent memory at least, of just gut-wrenching, tragic, unexplainable acts of violence and hate across the country and across the world yeah. um, from Baton Rouge. Um, this is all after you know Orlando still seems to be ringing in all of our ears. And then we've got Baton Rouge and we've got Dallas and just... Minnesota. Also, Minnesota, yeah, Minnesota, and then you've got right on the heels of that, you've got the terrorist attacks in Nice, France, and it's just like, when is this going to end? And so we reference um, the turbulence in this episode, but we don't really ever explain it. So at the point where we get to in the episode, where we talk, we're talking around some really important themes of uh, inclusiveness and unity and spirituality and humanity, and um, Krista talks about the events of this week, and we never say what week that is or what's going on. So just to give you guys some frame of reference, some context, that's kind of what we're talking about. So Krista Tippett. Krista freaking Tippett. Holy cow. Ugh. I mean, just reading her bio, I was like, man, what have I done with my life? I let the fanboy <laughs> out a little bit on this one. Yeah, how can you not? How could you not? And I don't, I don't care if we get 16 negative reviews on iTunes. <laughs> I don't care. At this point, I think people kind of know what to expect, you know? It was, ugh. Like, we just, we hope that you guys at home are enjoying these conversations, aren't as excited by the things that we discuss as we are. And, I I, I mean, she's a Peabody award-winning broadcaster and New York Times best-selling author. She's received the National Humanities Medal at the White House in 2014. Obama put that on her neck. Yeah, there's a picture. There's a picture. You can Google it. But she's just a fascinating uh, uh, person. She studied history at Brown University. She studied politics at Fulbright on a Fulbright scholarship while in Cold War Europe uh, mm. in the 80s. She lived all over Europe and at one point even served as special assistant to the U.S. ambassador to West Germany. And then, just for fun, you know, she got her, uh, her master's in divinity from Yale. Uh, that's who we're talking to. She brings, so why would we have her on the Deconstructionist podcast? Not just because she is an absolutely sought after speaker, author, radio host, podcaster, figure Mm -hmm. in the world of faith, science, politics, spirituality, all the humanities, essentially all the human disciplines. Krista Tippett's show, her work, her research speaks around these things and pulls them together into this continuity that I've never seen anywhere else. Yeah. And I think that I'm completely in love with her and her Mm -hmm. work. I mean, she's a wonderful person, kind, warm, bubbly. She is as human as she alludes to in all of her works about humans. She talks a lot about humanities and she is a fully alive 
fun person to be with. And uh, I just still can't believe that we yeah. <laughs> got to talk to her. I mean, can you imagine putting her and Sarah Bessie in the same room? Good I'd evaporate Lord. as a human being. I would too. I, or melt into a puddle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just absolutely wonderful stuff. So why have her on the podcast though? You know, this is, this is a show that John and I want to do with all of you listeners about being on a journey and being awake and aware and not believing by proxy, but asking questions and inquiring following your curiosity and uh, nobody does that better in my opinion than than Krista Tippett so it was like a no-brainer for me but some people are probably wondering like well, how does this yeah. fit in and to them I would say uh, listen to the episode and then that will become abundantly clear and then go to our show notes yes there we will have links um, I, I highly recommend uh, she has a, a amazing website where not only she writes but a host of other people write but she still does a blog for free unbelievable and then check out her books and definitely her podcast. She has a couple, and they're absolutely brilliant. She's known as being one of the best interviewers, unlike us. <laughs> oh. When John and I first started We're doing learning. this, it was, it was like, so I'm listening to a lot of Krista Tippett right now <laughs> yeah. to try to get better at this game. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. What a blessing. Um, thanks to her and her crew, uh, specifically Bethany Clocker, who um, hopefully that's how you pronounce it, that set us up with her. And um, man, this was just so much fun. Oh, man, what a blast. You guys are going to really enjoy all the themes we touch on and uh, the book that she just came out with again, which is already a New York Times bestseller, and that's called On Becoming Wise, an inquiry into the uh, mystery and art of living. It's just absolutely phenomenal stuff. So, yeah. without further ado, Krista freaking Tippett. Krista freaking Tippett, I cannot tell you how excited I am to welcome you with a big hug to the Deconstructionist podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I'm giving you a, a big virtual hug back. I can feel it. You have no idea how much that made Adam say just now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pure I'm a pure extrovert, seven on the Enneagram, and I'm loving this already. This is fantastic. So so if a lot of people listening to the show, we've got this vast spectrum of spiritually curious people sort of outside the faith. We've got people inside the faith that are just learning to kind of wake up, take the journey seriously for themselves and ask questions that they may have thought were scary before. But if anybody's listening to this show and they haven't um, been acquainted with your work, if they were born you know, under a rock or in a barn and they haven't been, been privileged <laughs> enough to listen to on being or get some of your books or, or anything, would you just by way of introduction, just tell us a little bit about Krista Tippett and how Krista Tippett started to do the work that you are now known to be doing. Could you just give us the, the mini bio? In- the mini bio. Well, I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma um, in, a, in an immersive kind of Southern Baptist world, and that was very formative for me, but um, uh, the, the life of the mind was not part of the religious world of my childhood. Mm. And, 
I went I went far away to college and kind of left the entire culture behind because it it didn't make sense in the the way I had learned it, it didn't and I wasn't sure how relevant it were, was to the complexity of that world out there. Mm. Um and I ended up in divided Germany. I got I got you know I really believe that politics was where all the interesting questions were being asked and all the interesting answers formulated, but I kind of by a combination of uh Effort and luck, you know, I landed in divided Berlin at this real, um, this, you know, at a fault line of the Cold War world, a place where geopolitics was at its most intense in that time. And, mm. um, and, and I learned definitively that, that I was really left wanting by what, in fact, politics had a capacity to address. And I, I started to become aware of, um, the, you know that it that that human beings um are strange and wonderful and that they are not utterly defined by the circumstances in which they live even the political circumstances and even in extreme circumstances and i so i started to feel like that's where i wanted to be you know putting my energy in the world mm. and and at that point i eventually started asking but almost kind of reluctantly calling them spiritual questions again and ended up going to study theology because i needed to know that if i was coming back to this i had you know that i had to be able to apply my mind and i had to it had to be relevant to the to the world and to all in all its um its complexity and multiplicity as i'd experienced it and so i studied theology and then I came out of that, out of with a with a master's of divinity, still with the with the perspective of a journalist, mm. um, and realized that this whole part of life we 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 don't. This was the mid '90s, and I think it's we're a little bit better now. But that basically we had no robust vocabulary for talking about this part of life in its fullness in public, mm. um, and so that became my you know, this calling that I, this passion that just kind of consumed me. And I ended up creating this radio show to have, um, to be able to say, can, you know, we have to find a way to speak of these things in a way that retains their integrity, their spiritual integrity, and also their intellectual integrity. And so that became this adventure of a public radio show, which originally was called Speaking of Faith and now is called On Being and now is as much a podcast as it is a a radio show and in, in, that? in a five that, <laughs> that was so concise and wonderful Perfect. And, and i could ask you 15 questions just based on that little bit of your language okay. is so good but um yeah wow man so, so one of the things that i i think is really interesting and you kind of alluded to this a little bit in, in your bio there um if i remember correctly your grandfather uh was a southern baptist minister correct yes yes that's right so, so you've mentioned this before in uh, in previous interviews and some of your writing. Um, that seems to be something that you've thought about a great deal, just in regards to the fact that you've mentioned um, that he kind of he was a very intelligent man, but seemed to stay within kind of this circle of certainty, um, if you want to call it that. Um, how has that influenced the work that you do today? Um, you know, my grandfather stayed in the circle of certainty. Because I think he was afraid of what would happen if he didn't. Um, he had a second grade education. Um, he had grown up in a more, you know, he grew up on the, his family came to Oklahoma in a covered wagon. They were literally dirt poor. Um, uh, the world was a, was a harsher place. And, and he was, 
I found him to be fearful, uh, not just of, uh, you know, anything that might not be explained in scripture, um, but also of the body, you know, of the mm. fact that, you know, he was a very passionate person. And I think that that was an uncomfortable thing for him. And he, he had not been given any ways to integrate that with, with the pretty strict rules and the, um, you know, he was a hellfire and brimstone preacher, right? It was, it was about, there was a lot of punishment looming at all times. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I also felt that when I went away, um, I realized, you know, heaven was a very small place and God was kind of mean. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, even Methodists weren't making it into heaven. <laughs> oh no. And, yeah. And, and it, and, but, but what I, as I have, I have reflected on it a great deal and it's very much formed me, but what I've realized over the years as I have kind of, uh, combed through that memory is that I was formed both by what my grandfather said and also who he was. And mm. those two things, um, were, were, you know, at best in a creative interplay, at worst in contradiction, but it's mm. okay because reality is contradictory Absolutely. and we are, we are contradictory creatures. So, so even though my grandfather could be so harsh and frightening, I mean, his theology could be frightening. He was, he was also, I think, you know, he talked about a God of love. And in some ways, his theology, the, the God of his theology, uh, you, you could question whether, whether that was all about love. But my grandfather himself was loving and he was funny. He was playful. He was passionate. Mm. Um, and so I, I think that all of that, including those contradictions in him, informed my sense of, of who God might be. Mm. One of the things that I just love about your work, and I've, I've been a fan for a long time, is that um, there's, no, there's, there's not even a whiff of bitterness or cynicism or anything to anything that you've come from or anything that you've maybe disagreed with along the way. You just have this way of being so gracious and one of our favorite authors or speakers is uh, Richard Rohr and he has a phrase that yeah. he, he likes to say transcend and include and it's yeah. it's the only way to prevent uh bitterness but I just want to just just give you high marks for that it's just we need more of that we we really do we need more of those um loving open spaces where yeah I'm I'm not seeing it the same way that these people you know that raised me or these people that I've my tradition is I'm not seeing it just like that anymore, but it's that. And it's not just, well, and you know, there's what, there's what people believe. And then there's, there's how they came to see the world that way. Mm. And, and I, I think in almost every case, no matter how ugly or hateful the beliefs might seem to us, um, the story, I mean, especially when something is ugly and hateful, there's often, there's, there's pain behind that. Yeah. There's, there's, there's woundedness. Um, you know, anger is the way, is what, anger is what fear and pain look like when they show themselves in public. And that's the only way we, we, we have taught pain to show itself in public. I, I think that this uh. moment we are in right now, this week, Yes. Um, yeah. Is yes. a demonstration of that. Our presidential election is a demonstration of that, and uh, we have got to learn to reckon with that. But anyway, mm. 
Um, so good. We, yeah, you don't, I'm not, I am not about saying every, every belief is fine. You know, it's not about relativism, but mm. we, we have to make room for the humanity behind positions and beliefs. Um, in order for, if we, if we, if we, if what we're really invested in is the fact that we share life with these other people and we want to create more space for that humanity to show itself in its, in, you know, in its fullness. Um, but we, we don't make that move culturally. We don't have those conversations. We don't create situations where people feel that feel trustworthy for people to become just that much more vulnerable, mm. you know, to admit their questions as well as their answers. We, yes. we don't even, we don't reward that. And so there's work to do, not just in having new conversations, but in creating a cultural container in which a new kind of encounter is possible. Man, so good, Krista. Uh, to go back a little bit to the kind of timeline that you laid out of, of how you got to where you are now, um, one of the things I thought was really interesting that was right in your bio off your website um, was a, a kind of a quote that you had there uh, in discussing your experiences that you had while in Europe and your experiences while attaining your Master's of Divinity from Yale. Um, you came to the conclusion, you said, that there was a black hole where intelligent coverage of a religion should be. Yeah. Mm. Can you unpack yeah. that? What did you, what did you mean that. by that? Um, I, I, I mean, if there are if, if, if a few things. I, I think that there was and still is a bit of a tendency to cover religion and in interview religious people, uh, like you cover politics and and interview politicians huh. and um and it's not actually the right format to get at the heart of the matter or to draw out the best um of what people are representing by the same token i think something that you know kind of started going wrong in american culture in the end of the 20th century was you know, high profile religious people who actually squeeze themselves into political boxes and into political modes of discourse in order to be heard. Mm. Um, but in the process, um, you know, really betraying the spirit of what, what they were about. Mm. Um, yeah. so, so, you know, a, a thought experiment for me is, you know, what if when, so when, there there had been for most of the 20th century actually um uh devout christian voices conservative christian voices had has we had willfully taken them out themselves out of the public sphere because they they didn't experience it to be compatible um with 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 their presence in the world or or what they were about um when they did re when a few you know, really pretty strident voices reinserted themselves. It was all about positions on moral values. You know, mm. it was about rights and wrongs and good and evil. Absolutely. And, um, um, but what if, this is my question, but you know, the, the, the integrity of the tradition and of scripture um, always insists on holding together. Uh, I mean, yes, it does. It does call people to discern truth and to stand for truth and articulate truth. Mm. But at the very same time, there's a, an equally strong calling for uh, the care with which we use our words, mm. you know, love of enemies, uh, you know, welcoming the stranger. 
and so so the calling is very complex it, it it is to hold those things in some kind of tension it's 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 so it's not just in the positions you take it is in the way you live and that was completely lost that nuance was completely lost so but i like to think you know what if the effect of um of christian voices re-entering political life had been that that they demonstrated uh, and we all learned uh what love of enemies would look like embodied in political life. You know, wow. that would have been a whole other way to re reassert um the validity of of this tradition in public life. Uh, I don't and nobody would be wringing their hands about religion and politics. <laughs> um, oh no. Yeah. So so yeah, that's that's kind of one way I, I come at that. Uh, so so I guess one of my follow up questions is that one of the things that we find really interesting on our show that we, we talk about pretty frequently is, uh, and, and mostly because the people listening, a lot of the people anyway, listening to our show um, are dealing, are either on a journey uh, where they're, they're dealing with struggles and doubts within uh, faith of, of any kind um, or have gone through that, that period, you know, that, uh, uh, that period of doubt. So obviously you've, you've talked a little bit about, you know, kind of pushing back against the the things that you were raised in, the beliefs that you were handed um, as a child, and 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 going off to uh, university and and starting to ask questions and kind of broaden your spirituality. Um, what was it? It was there a specific moment, or was there was there some catalyst that kind of brought you back into um, a life of faith or a life of spirituality? Hmm. Um, I. I happened to live in my 20s in divided Berlin and to be doing journalism and being with political people there. And it, it was probably one of the most secular contexts that I that I could have existed in. So mm. I really did not talk about religion at all or know anybody who talked about it or or was involved in it for for about six years. Wow. Um uh, except that at the very end, before the Berlin Wall came down, churches on the eastern side of the wall started to be places where people could speak truth. And, you know, there started to be illegal copy machines in the basements of churches mm, and things like that. So, so at that point, yeah, so at that point, there, I, I started I started paying attention to church, but it was as a political force. Uh-huh. And... Um, I honestly think, though, I was, I was working at this. I was working with it at the end. I was working with an ambassador. I was working with people who were truly powerful, who were moving those nuclear weapons around on the map. But I was very, I found myself really unsettled by the gap between their public lives and their, their powerful public lives and their, you know, often really immature. Um, and and uh, I, I don't know, just you know, not not interesting or respectable private lives, mm. and just their kind of shrunken intimate lives. Oh wow! Um, and and then and then at the same time, I was very taken by um, you know being in East Berlin, where you had a lot of people who who materially had nothing, who who also didn't have choices. Um, they didn't, they didn't, it's not just that they didn't have freedom. They didn't have a lot of possibilities, but who managed to create lives of dignity and beauty. And so I, I think 
as I was pondering those kinds of things, I was, I was, those were spirit, those were spiritual wonderings, right? Absolutely. That, those were, that was about, that was about morality and spirituality. And it was getting on the kinds of things that theology arose to address, but I didn't call it that. I suppose the turning point was just when I left Berlin and I went to a, a beautiful place, um, and I just got quiet for the first time in about six years. And it was mm. actually getting quiet and actually letting, because what I'd been doing, these kinds of things I'm talking about were, these questions were um, were unnerving. But at the same time, I was doing something that was very exciting and prestigious and, you know, exhilarating in its way. So I hadn't actually let myself attend to those confusions. And then I started I started doing something that I only eventually called praying, you know, but it kind of grew wow. out of the silence and the searching. Uh, just like I'm just like it did in, in the early stages of the church and, you know, even mm. the Jewish mystics and mm. Islamic mm. mystics. And there's, there's something that everyone kind of gets with that, with prayer coming out of silence, that modernity, yeah. ki- modernity kind of neutralized it or sterilized it. Actually, you know what? I'm, I just love talking to you so much, but I really did want to, uh, there's a part of your book, uh, your new book, uh, Becoming Wise, which by the way is gripping. I was reading it the other night to my wife, getting her a little bit more acquainted with your work. Um, she's she's uh, always busy raising our kids and uh, she, doesn't, she, doesn't have <laughs> yeah. the, she doesn't have the luxury to listen to <laughs> s- scores of podcasts that I do when I'm on the road <laughs> in my profession. And um, yeah. And I started reading and she just said, oh, will you just please keep reading that? love that. Tell her I said hello. Oh, I will. And she just, your, your, your words are just so just, I can tell you spent such a great deal of time crafting the sentences. And I just want you to know how, how appreciated, appreciative I am. But I want to read you um, in, in your chapter flesh. It's called the body's grace. You say this uh, medicine became an art of treating our parts, not our whole religion divided us inside with high mystical notions that we are souls trapped in bodies and theologies that made flesh and sin indistinguishable. One of the things that I've learned from you and your work and then Karen Armstrong and you know many, many others is that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to kind of cleanse my palate from uh, modernity and how categorical everything has always been. And you're, there's, this, yeah. there's this integration of all of life that you just, I, I think you're, you're the best at it. How, do, how did that become such a... When did that become such a big part of your work, just integrating all of it and breaking down these categories? Well, I've never quite posed or been posed that question exactly in that way. But what comes to mind is that I think, you know, my grandfather was a was a perfect exemplar of the, you know, we, we early on earlier on you talked about how I. I retain compassion even for what I distance myself from. And mm. I did eventually understand that the world in the world in which my grandfather grew up, you know, I mean, everything was about making sure sex didn't happen, which of course, like the more you, <laughs> right. the more you focus on that and get, get obsessive about it, the more likely it is that you will be self-defeating. But, but um. so much was, or, or also he was so, you know, he was so worried about, sex and drinking and he was worried about card playing, which I never understood. And then later I, I, I realized that in the world in which my grandfather grew up, you know, 
pregnancy out of wedlock, pregnancy on its own. I mean, you know, 30% of women died in childbirth 100 years ago, right? So, yeah. so I realized that there was danger to these things that I couldn't, that I needed, that, that was real in his generation. Mm. These rules made sense in terms of keeping people safe and whole. Um, and that, and that it, you know, in the, in the, I, I did a, a project when I was cre- creating the radio show, but not yet able to make a living off it for Hazelden, the treatment center, which is in Minnesota. And I, I ended up talking to people in countries where AA had come in living memory and and realizing that you know before there were 12 steps before there was aa uh, addiction was a fatal illness like yeah. it, 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 you know there there was absolutely nothing to send people to or to give people and and people died and they wrecked the lives of everybody around them so i started to understand that it that it wasn't just him being stubborn or stupid right, right. that there was actually an intelligence about the body um but um, but it was a, it was a sad thing that that the body had to be seen as just this entry point of danger, uh, because it did it did leave him less whole and it left everybody less whole, and and so I think part of so I so I had that of you know that experience of of now realizing mm. I think as I studied theology. Mm, I'm an almost on behalf of him, or you know, or wow. I I kind of and and then the other thing that happened is in, is is also integrating the mind with the body. Yes, you know, because I I went away then to a world that in fact was in many ways way overly cerebral and over intellectualized. So it wasn't actually an antidote to that. It was kind of a different form of division. Um, yeah. So I think some way in in the ways that I went that I saw that my weird upbringing gave me these experiences of kind of worlds of extreme difference. Um, there was something in me that longed to, to help create, like help recover the wholeness Mm. between those worlds and within them. That's, that's, I guess the answer that I come to. Yeah. I just, thank you for the backstory. That is what I love most about your work. So one of the interesting things that I think you touched on, and, and it kind of leads to to my next question, is is you you got this this rich experience of being able to go over to spend some time in Europe and and um, experience these different cultures, and and I would I would imagine even come into contact with other religions and other faiths. Um, do you think that with the advent of technology, uh, you know, before you know back in the you know twenty years ago or so. The only way uh-huh. to get that experience was to to literally travel, whereas now, yeah. you know, do the Internet, post-Internet, you know, uh, we are quickly becoming this very pluralized society. Mm. And obviously, this isn't exclusive to, to Christianity, but, uh, you know, Western Christianity, speaking from my own experience, uh, seems to have this kind of exclusive claim to to certainty and, and to truth, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, what do you see? Uh, as in terms of the effect of kind of this changing world that we live in and the fact that we're, we're suddenly confronted with, with not only different religions, but different races. Mm. And how, how do you see yeah. this changing our society? I, I still remember after 9-11, there was a, a column by um, uh, Tom Friedman in the New York Times. And you know, he's a brilliant columnist, but he, he said that one of the, 
implications of uh, of 9/11 was that the monotheistic traditions would have to relinquish their exclusive truth claims. Huh. And I remember reading that and thinking, that's not going to happen. Mm. And and it would be, um, it, it, it can't happen, right? I mean, the, right. Those, the, those exclusive truth claims are part of the integrity of those traditions. Right. Um, uh, and so, yeah, something has to change, but it's not that. Uh, and it's that's a ridiculous. That's actually a ridiculous. And I mean, he's a brilliant person. But it's a, it was a ridiculous. And earlier mm. on, we we're talking about how you know journalism doesn't doesn't undersee or understand religion and its integrity. And it, mm. it was actually a very uninformed and unintelligent analysis of something. Um, yeah. Uh, I hope he doesn't listen to your podcast. I'm sure, I'm sure, he, I'm sure he doesn't. We might as well be talking. Like, I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm, it's, it, he's he's part of the world that he's part of, and it 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 makes sense in that world, but it doesn't, in fact, make sense. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> don't don't so, worry, Krista. Um, there's probably nobody's listening. This is like in a closet. Don't worry about it. Yeah, very underground. Um, I'm not too worried about Tom Friedman listening. Um, <laughs> but that's that says more about him than about you. Right. Um, oh. But. So, so, but, so what I, so I don't, there's nothing in me actually, uh, even given all the diversity that I experience and that I, uh, am enriched by, there's nothing in me that thinks that, that Christianity, Christians can or should get rid of exclusive truth claims. Mm. Um, I just, I just think that actually, um, if you you know if you look at the Bible and the tradition in its wholeness, we're talking about putting things back together, putting all the pieces back together in yes. all, all that we do. Um, you know, one one place that I really focus is here. Here's what I think. I think for for Christians, and and this is really more a Christian thing than other traditions, and it's mm -hmm. not all Christians, but for Christians for whom this exclusivity is really central. Mm -hmm. The existence of living in a world of of religious others and and religious others of integrity, right? Religious yes. others who you come to love and who marry your children and live next door and absolutely um, is uh, it's it's a mystery, right? It's the the mystery of the religious other, and so I think it then becomes work of theology to. Um, to investigate, you know, what is the faithful way to stand before that mystery, and and mm. I and I actually think that that reverencing mystery, which honestly, for for my grandfather and for that church I grew up in, um, mystery was not really something you wanted to give. You know, I, I think that that part of the tradition got shortchanged in a way uh, that, in fact, was was not faithful. Yes. Um, because it because it was this realm of where your certainties might not be certain and and um and everything dictated against that and uh. but i I think that at the at the orthodox heart of christianity even of the most of of the even of the traditions where the exclusive truth claims are most important, there is this you know there is this powerful, strong constant teaching you know we see through through a glass darkly that there are things we will not understand in this lifetime. And that, that reverence for mystery is also a piece of orthodoxy. Oh, and I, I actually yes. think it allows us, it actually allows us to have it all. 
right? <laughs> I mean, it's a great thing. It's great news because it means you can say, I am called. I, I had discerned this truth. I have learned this truth. I believe it. I'm called to live it and practice it and pursue it. And that is faithful. But at the very same time, you have to hold that, hold that together with this calling to say, and, and there are things I will not understand in this lifetime. And I think, I think, you know, the, the reality, the mystery of religious others is, is one of those, um, is one of those things now and forever, probably from now on in, in humanity's history. Oh, beautiful. I <laughs> love it. In fact, <laughs> in fact, I just I just looked over at John, big excited look on my face, and I pointed to the next question that I was going to ask you because um, one of the things I recently heard you say is is what you just said. It's this this we can have these robust beliefs, we can have certainty, we can have yes. truth, but we can all, we can have it all. Could you just spend maybe just a little more time? What do you mean by that for people that are listening that that feel torn between either? just sheer openness. They're, you know, they're loving, exploring. They feel like they are Lewis and Clark on a new expedition and, you know, they're out in the open again, but they feel yeah. like they've left behind all these robust beliefs and the vocabulary and, you know, the certainty and the truth. You think we can have it all. I do too. What do you mean by that? <laughs> I do too. I think searching is a part of orthodoxy. I think, I also think that if God is God, we cannot be frightened of what our search will reveal, right? Uh, we cannot be frightened of what our minds, what we can discover. Um, if God made our brains, which are so miraculous in ways that we're understanding more and more, you know, that, we, that we're only now grasping in, in whole new ways, then, then we cannot be frightened of what they yield, we can, uh, we absolutely can be frightened of what we can do with that knowledge, um, but not of the knowledge itself. Uh, uh, I love it so much. It, uh, so, <laughs> little, you guys are, you're great for my ego. You're, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go be with my teenage children after this and they will not be <laughs> nearly as appreciative of what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to put this out there. If you ever need, need a pep talk, Krista, you, 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 I would Thank be you. happy. I would we'll, be happy. We'll have designated pep talk time. <laughs> <laughs> not a problem at all. What you're, what, what you're doing is so important and I could listen to you all day. So, Let's get a little bit more practical for these people that we're, we're starting to give them this, you know, beacon of hope. That's like, oh, my gosh, really? That's possible? I didn't know that. That's amazing. Oh. I, you know, I, I feel so stuck. I feel like it's one way or the other. I don't know how to transcend and include, oh. you know, oh. and, and you talk a lot about fear um, as being, you know, so why, why should we be afraid? So some people are afraid to ask questions. They, they are afraid of what the result is going to be. What would you say to people like that to... Yeah. Right. And and even to make the kinds of statements that I make about the beauty of mystery, mm. um, I can make from a position of being somebody who has a pretty secure place in the world, right? right. I have I have some advantages of education and experience that make me more comfortable with complexity and uncertainty. Um, that's really important for me to know. And, and, you know, it, it, it to be fearful, um, of uncertainty is something that in fact is 
that is that is something planted in our bodies. Mm. And some of us some of us are fortunate um because of the degree of security and safety and education we have to to be able to transcend that a bit, to be able to work with that. And I think some of us, I think we're all just, you know, we're different. So some, so in fact, there are different personality types and, and some people are just more animated and energized by uncertainty and a certain, some people aren't. And and so that's okay. Um, the, the fear and the anxiety are not a problem. Um, and we, and we absolutely can't judge them in other people. Mm. Um, uh, yes. I, you know, I don't know what else to say about that. I, I, you know, this just has to be part of the strangeness of, of us that's out there in our midst. Mm. But I, I, I do think that, um, I mean, I know you're talking about people grappling with themselves, um, yes. but even as they, as they're defining themselves over against that group they came from, you know, I, I think it can soften your own search to, to, um, to understand that it's a kind of a, it's a kind of a privilege to, to be able to be animated by the searching, um, um, and so, to understand that, but, but you also, you don't help other people out of their fearfulness mm. by telling them how stupid they are, <laughs> you know, right. or just, yes. or, or finding it ridiculous and communicating that it's ridiculous. So I, I think there's, there's the work we have to do with ourselves and then there's the work we have to do eventually to, to create a softer space between what we are and what we're asking and where other people are, where it might just be, you know, we actually have to make people feel safe for them to be able to share their questions. And, mm. and I think we, 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 we neglect that work. And then there's just this chasm between us, us and where we came from. And that's painful and disorienting in its own ways. Mm. Absolutely. So good. So uh, one of the things I thought was interesting as I was kind of diving into kind of your background is, is uh, you start out in history. And, and so you had me there because I also studied history uh, in college. And then you move on to obviously theology, which clearly Adam and I are both, uh, you know, have a great fascination with. And then um, anybody who follows your work notices that you have this fascination with the, the relationship between science and, and faith. Um, and so that's when Adam and I think, I think realized that you might be our spirit animal. So, um, (laughs) absolutely. Having said that, um, you know, it comes up, you've written a a book, Einstein's God conversations about science and the human spirit. Um, you've interviewed a lot of interesting scientists on your program, um, you know, uh, blog articles and that sort of thing. What, what, where did this, uh, what sparked this curiosity and, and kind of the relationship and how they inform one another? That that curiosity is not something that was with me at all when I started the show, um, when I was, you know, creating this in the early 2000s. It's something that grew out of, um, and I, I'm one of these people who who would would say I was never good at science. I never understood science, and I finally, um, I've I've really internalized what 
what what my conversations with scientists have taught me, which is that you know we don't say I I can't listen to music because I couldn't write music, right? right. I can't listen to music, right? I can't listen to music because I don't understand what's happening with the chords, right? That that science is this discipline, and in fact, it 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 it, it has a lot of kinship with the arts. It's this great treasure trove in our midst, and it belongs to all of us, even if we can't all do it. And and I, I think things like the Hubble telescope and the human genome project and, you know, the neuroscience is happening now. I think it's like someone helping us claim this as a human discipline amidst our other disciplines. Um, and I think that, uh, but early on, I started talking to people like John Polkinghorne, who are, oh. um, who I'd never heard of people like this, right? Who's a physicist and he, he's a quantum physicist. He's a he's member amazing. of the Royal Society. Yeah. And he, he finds ways to, he has this congenial, vocabulary as a theologian, as a physicist, and he doesn't try to tie it all up into a neat bow, but he doesn't find it at odds, inherently at odds. And so that was this revelation to me. And I mean, then it just at some point I, I just concluded, and I, I really believe this, that the entire science-religion standoff is just, it's, it's, it's made up. It's unnecessary. It's not true to the history of science, nor is it true to the history of Christianity. And it, it mostly is a Christian thing. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, I, I just got more and more fascinated. And originally I, I was, I was very taken by just learning that there were people like John Polkinghorne and there are many people like him who are, who hold these disciplines in, in some kind of relationship and some kind of conversation. And then I started to discover people who are not at all religious, but the things they are asking and just, and, and exploring and learning have theological and spiritual um, implications. Absolutely. And so I think for us in the 21st century, um, being enriched and informed by that sphere, th those are raw materials of theology as much as, you know, they're, 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 they're working on the problem of free will and yes. what makes compassion more likely than violence and all these these things that that religion has been, you know, ha that are that are at the, the, the this inquiry that's been at the heart of religion forever, mm. um, and so I just very gradually, you know, step by step, conversation by conversation, um, have become this has just become one of the most interesting things I do, and it's and it's interesting mm. to everybody, right? I mean, it's yeah. well, not everybody, but it but to many many people. See, Krista, there you go again, just integrating all of life <laughs> like a pro. Oh, man. Your kids it. just don't appreciate I you. I love it so much. I, what I really want more than anything for the people listening to this podcast is to subscribe to your podcasts. Um, I, I listen to both of them. I love them. They're a big part of my week. I love them so much. And I just love your book so much. So I want to end with uh, reading you another part of your book and uh, asking you to talk a little bit about the book. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love this. Okay. So you say in the, in the intro, cause I really just want to give people a taste. So they go buy this book. They really, they really, they really need to, it's on becoming wise. Um, you say we have riches of knowledge and insight of tools in ta uh, of tools, both tangible and spiritual to rise to this calling. We watch our technologies become more intelligent and speculate imaginatively about their potential 
to become conscious. All the while, we have it in us to become wise. Wisdom leavens intelligence, emboldens consciousness, and advances evolution itself. Ugh. <laughs> I, I checked that last statement out with an evolutionary biologist, by the way. I said, is this true? Can I really say this? And uh, he said, yes. He said, it's absolutely true. If he would have said no, I would have implored you to leave it in there anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> so my question after reading this little section is, tell the listener, what do you mean by wisdom? What does it mean to become wise? Um, so, so, you know, I'm drawing the, the contrast there between knowledge and wisdom, intelligence and wisdom, consciousness and wisdom. I, I think it's, it's hard. There's no pat definition, but I, I think the, the best way I have to start talking about that is I think, I think that intelligence and knowledge can be things we possess, right? You can point at someone and you can say that's an intelligent person, that they, they have knowledge. Mm. Um, I think that the measure and the perception of wisdom uh, it, it, it's often, you know, has very much to do with intelligence and knowledge, but it's, but the measure and perception of it has to do with the imprint that person makes on the world, right? Mm. The effect they have on other people around them mm. as much as it is, you know, who they are and what they know. Mm. It's, it's, just, it's another step, you know, it's the difference between information and discernment. Um, and it's, it's, it's integrated. It's, you know, we've been talking about this the whole time, it, it, mm. it, you know, these are people who, where there's an integration that is, that is not just maybe visible, but that is palpable between their inner life and their outer presence in the world. Oh. It's embodied, right? It's embodied. It's not just, it's not just a, a thought or a spirit. It's all of it. Oh. Everybody needs to buy this book. Well, we want to be, we want to be respectful of your time. So how about, Krista Tippett, you want to do a little, should we do a little lightning, lightning round? <laughs> All right. We'll see if I can do this. Lightning I'll round. Have you ever done, have you ever done a lightning round before? I don't think so. We so haven't I... either. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've threatened it, but never actually gone through with it. So, but if there's anybody <laughs> oh, I want to do it. Great. Are you kidding pig? <laughs> you, you totally are. So we'll give you one word. This is like mm -hmm. my dream. I like dreamed about this moment. Okay. We'll, get, we'll give you one word, and then you just say whatever you want. Okay. Whatever comes to mind. <laughs> All right. All right, lightning round. Mystery. <laughs> uh, welcoming, expansive. Um, I, I, oh, I love this line of Robert Coles, who wrote The Spiritual Life of Children, that mystery is a great companion. Mm. And mystery is something that I have come, I would say if there's, if there's one effect of all of this work I've done across the years on me, it is that I have this, my sense of mystery is much greater. It's something that I feel is rich and um, spacious and I trust it mm. and um, and I and I can I can take delight in it but I but it's 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 you have to 
it's that's not I don't think that's automatic or necessarily that natural. I think it's something you know it's like anything else we have to you have to practice this and mm. but it's a great gift it's a great gift that's come to me from this practice I've had of of um inviting other people to give voice to mystery. Oh, so good. Perfect. Okay, you're doing really well by the way. Yeah, that was that was that was excellent. <laughs> yes, you were worried. I know you're fine. <laughs> okay, next random lightning round word. Um god. Too small a word. Mm. Wow. Okay. So I mean, good. I don't it's just impossible to I I I believe in god, but I don't but but what that word contains oh. is just is so much bigger and so much wilder than than it used to be. And so the longer I live, the the more confining that word itself becomes. Like it's, I mean, you still I I still use it, and we have we can't get rid of it. And it's mm. like the word love, right? It gets really right. ruined and watered down. And yet it's there's nothing like saying I love you, and there's nothing like 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 invoking God. Uh, but it's it's always inadequate. Mm. Well, one of our words on here was love, so you just nailed that one. <laughs> you just got a, you just got a two, you just got a two first. So that's super exciting. <laughs> All right, a couple more. Being. Boy, that's a hard one. You know, I. It's a word with a great theological and philosophical lineage. Mm. Um. But it also doesn't say much, and I I think that makes it. It's not a word. I mean, you know. I mean, of course, we use word being all the time. But to speak about being as the way I, what it means in the title of a show called On Being. Yeah. It it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't necessarily carry a lot of. Uh, concrete meaning for people if you just throw it out there on the and and but on the other hand that's also what makes it a wonderful word because mm. it, it's very spacious it's mm. not it's not controversial it's you know it's not it's not freighted like the word faith you know which is very meaningful for some people and very fraught for others mm. and it's gotten it's it's just carries all the connotations of all the ways the word itself has been abused um, I, I don't think the word being is, it's more kind of pristine, um, and, um, it's a little bit transcendent, but it, even though it's talking about the most elemental yes. reality there is. Uh. Okay. Last, last word. Beauty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, that's, you know, that's. One of my, I mean, I would say I talked about mystery and how that's, how my, my sense of mystery is one of the biggest, uh, one of the things that's changed in me the most and changed me the most. And I think the other, if I had to name one other thing, it would, it would be understanding beauty, um, as as a core moral value, as a litmus test. Wow. And as, um, as one of these, one of these qualities, or I don't know, is it a quality, one of these experiences, one of these values, virtues, mm. which, which is, which does create wholeness. Mm. Um, I like the, I like the John O'Donohue, the, 
late poet um, and philosopher, you know, said that his definition of beauty was beauty is that in the presence of which we feel more alive. Mm. So, it's, and you do have to define it because it, it's another word that gets misused and overused. But if you if you think of beauty that way, you know, it's it's not just a beautiful face or a beautiful visual. You know, it's 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 a beautiful life. Mm. Um, uh, and it's not about perfection. It's about, you know, what is, what is life giving? Um, and I do, I do experience wise people, um, all kinds of wise people, whether scientists or philosophers or teachers or poets or, you know, whatever they do or business people to have a robust sense of beauty. And it does it does connect the the physical the the, the bodily and the you know and the the beautiful the wonderful perceptive powers of our minds and 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 also just the this thing whatever spirit is which you know feels drawn to certain experiences and changed by them um, mm. and so I I think that it, I I grew up um, in a place where the natural world was not very hospitable or taken very important, um, you know, where the, where the, um, where the body was an entry point of danger, um, where there wasn't, there just wasn't much of an aesthetic sensibility where it was kind of like the practical American frontier. Um, and I think I would have said then, and it well into my young adulthood, I, you know, if you'd done this lightning test with me, I might've said beauty was, you know, an optional thing, right? I mean, mm. a, a wonderful thing, of course, but not necessary to life. And now like I think beauty is absolutely necessary to life. Mm. I think it's necessary to faith, and I think it's necessary to truth. So good. I, I don't think there's any any better way to, to wrap this time <laughs> up. I mean, you you passed the lightning around with flying colors. I think I think you should know that. <laughs> we- I want you to send me a certificate. Absolutely. John, you got it. John will make you a certificate. I, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, we want to be respectful of your time, and, and we just want to say thank uh, you. we want to thank you so much. Thank you. Um, it was such an honor for us to, to have you on our show. It really just uh, – um, I think it made Adam's year, actually. Um, oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And that's a litmus test for me too. And uh, and really, very. Um, you really got me thinking. So that means that your questions are good. So thank, thank you. you. Uh, that that might be the biggest. Honor now you made my year. <laughs> <laughs> so um, will you let me know when you're posting this or how absolutely. whatever you're doing with it? Oh, okay. absolutely. absolutely. And before and before we let you go, real quick, um, what is mm-hmm. the best place for people listening to keep up on what you're up to and uh, find your books, your podcasts, and all that good stuff? Well, you can get the book wherever books are found. Yes. Um, Becoming Wise. Um, uh, and the 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 show is at onbeing.org. But however you get podcasts, if it's on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud, you know, the, the podcast is out there. We do have apps, which are free, the On Being app. And um, we have this little Becoming Wise podcast, which is new, which is also in all those places. So good. Um, so it's you know it's pretty easy to find. Oh, outstanding! The Ellie the Ellie Wiesel one today. Oh my gosh! Oh, did you listen to that? Oh, that, uh, yeah, that means so much to me. 
Uh, I had actually, I had forgotten about the first time I met him. I had, I don't know why. I mean, I remembered that interview so clearly, but I'd forgotten about that first meeting in Germany. Germany. And how much that meant to me. Uh, I, I, I love listening to him today. Uh, oh man, yeah. I, was, I was totally crying. I was mowing the lawn, listening to uh, it, and, and crying. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Ellie Wiesel talking about prayer. It was just incredible. It was incredible. Yeah, so every, had, everybody should get that podcast as yeah, well. Yeah, good. <laughs> good, I'm uh, that makes me happy too. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to know about what you're all doing and who you uh, are. Yes, oh, yes, absolutely. You. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. Okay. Thank you, you got my so numbers, much. all my numbers. You have I them. do, <laughs> yes, I do. do. It's going to be a time. My going. landline and myself. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going on vacation like tomorrow morning for the first time in like five years. And I'm just oh, going to be good. thinking about the fact that I just interviewed Krista Tippett and I have her phone number. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, I wish you a wonderful vacation. I'm going on vacation at the end of next week and I need it badly. Yes, oh, ditto. I got to wait till September. This is oh. not fair. <laughs> oh. Oh. Much well, love to you, Krista Tippett. Thank, thank you, you so for the much. work you do. Thank you thank for your you. grace. Thank and you. We can't wait till next time. Okay. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Every day we go to war again. We assume we know so much more than them before we hear what they have to say. Headline breaks And we start to hate again Calling them names again We give our peace Man, I'm worried about our listeners that are driving in their cars right now. I know. I don't <laughs> want to be the cause of any accidents. Or they're like at the gym working out. Because they and, fell off the treadmill. And just listen to that lightning round. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Coming from a man who has fallen off a treadmill before. I have too. As a single man in front of two Did you do girls. that at the gym? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, me too, man. <laughs> I totally bit it hard. The worst part was it happened in slow motion. My shoe came untied and I tried to like get to it without stopping. And I ended up turning around backwards and it landed on my butt and it shot me off the end of the treadmill. So, and the two girls are standing there trying not to like, you know hyperventilate on the and i was like i can't come back here anymore i just can't come back here anymore do you know how i fell off <laughs> this is so me yeah i was listening to some i can't even remember what it was now but i was listening to some talk or lecture or sermon or something like that and a lot of times because i get so distracted because of my add i'll try to close my eyes on the treadmill <laughs> and so i was closing my eyes to try to focus and i kind of half stepped off oh yeah and just ate it man just ate it hard. Like, I don't even remember what happened. All I remember is falling, and I kind of turned around, so I held, I fell mostly on my butt, but then my, my head kind of hit, and then I was like, before I knew it, I was just like on the ground, like sitting there. Was anybody like, looking? Everybody was looking. Because <laughs> like, oh, my phone no. was in like the cup holder, yeah. and I had the headphones in, so my phone got pulled out of the cup holder and like flew like 10 feet. Oh, like, no. And so I had to like pick up all my crap, and yeah, anyway... <laughs> There you go. So the lightning round, though, hopefully we didn't injure anybody with that. Uh, she handled it like a professional. I mean, as soon as we laid out the word God and her answer to that, uh, I, I wasn't expecting it. I mean, you know, when we did that, it was kind of fun. And, and she was laughing about it before, when we were prepping for the interview. Right. We had no idea where she was going to go with it. And she didn't either. And oh, she's a treasure. Mic drop. I mean, she yeah. could have walked off stage and 
we could have ended in complete silence. I mean, honestly, if I have one self-sacrificial hope at the end of this episode, when people are listening to it, is that, honestly, we get bumped down their list of podcasts to listen to, and people just listen to... If they've never listened to On Being, like, if I can give mm. one gift to the world, it's listen to Krista freaking Tippett. Yeah. Like, ugh. Her interview skills. And then listen to us, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And that'd be great. And then you can, can compare and contrast and realize what rookies we really are. <laughs> how we're coming along. We're coming along. Prom- with promise, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. But man, what what a fun... I just love... I think what I love most about Krista's work, and if if people are really interested in somebody that took great pains to write uh, with beautiful prose, almost mm. poetic, pro- her, her new book is just so good, I can't even... I can't even describe how good it is. And what she does better than anyone, in my opinion, is integrates all of life and shows us how this enlightenment, modern compartmentalization of this is mind and this is spirit and this is a body and this is politics and this is work and this is... No, those barriers don't exist. We are integrated beings living in an integrated world and we need to learn better how to talk about the fact that reality is holistic Mm. and that life is holistic and that you, the listener, us, we are whole beings. We are physical and spiritual and there is a mystery to all of this. And it, she's, she's amazing, man. Yeah. She's absolutely amazing. If nothing else, I I hope that the people out there listening feel more hopeful. Yes. After that can, can, Absolutely, considering the circumstances that we find ourselves in now, I mean, it's very easy. I know you and I both, you know, we, we, we talk every day, and I know based on the things that were occurring in the news, you know, all the shootings, the violence, um, it's very easy to to lose sight of hope and say, what is going on? Yeah. And and, and is, is it ever going to get better? Yeah. And and I think, um, I think she gives me a little hope, you know, that things can get better, that they... They will get better um, if there are people out there who, who care enough right. and, and continue to connect and to love one another. Mm. Um, and, and one of the songs, I think, that uh, that was just perfect, and this just kind of fell together. Um, I, I hope people have noticed that we've um, you know tried to start weaving in uh, music you know, uh, throughout our episodes, and that's just been kind of one of the fun byproducts of what we do. Uh, but the, the, the artist this week... Um, we'd like to thank the brilliance, mm. um, the name of this band for, for giving us permission. And there's a song that they write that Adam and I both just are floored by every time we listen to it. And it's called brother. Oh man. Um, and, uh, and I, I just hope you guys listen to the words and, and I just, I think we felt like it was the perfect song to end this episode on. Yeah. When, when the events of that week were unfolding and I, I just felt so paralyzed with just grief and anger and confusion and sadness and um, I put that album on mm-hmm. and I was listening to the song Brother and I was just having a drink and I was like, there's nothing I can do right now but just sit here, listen to this song, take it all in, mm-hmm. contemplate it and hope that it changes me yeah, so that I can continue to be change in the world also. So yeah, what a joy to get to spend some time with her and it's always fun doing it with you man Uh, what a blast we tell people all the time that this is our favorite job out of all the jobs that we have (laughs) besides obviously it's a joy husbands and and parents and And yeah it's a joy and a blessing and everybody listening right now is taking part in that and if we have one thing that we just want to do with this it's 
if you're listening to this right now, you are a whole person that has a journey that, that you need to be on and you need to be awake for and follow your curiosity, ask questions. You know, like Krista said, if God is God, she said in the interview, I remember it so vividly. It's so good. If God is God, why, why, why would we be afraid of anything, any place that our questions could take us? Right. Why would we be afraid of that? Right. Oh, I love, I love that. I love taking the journey. Yeah. And just knowing that it's, it's beautiful even when it's not. And yeah, listen to Krista Tippett, take the journey and thank you for being here with us. You got anything else? Yeah, just don't take yourself too seriously and remember that that love is something that you can only get by giving. So mm. let's try to love each other a little bit better out there. Yeah, let's do that. And enjoy this song. Thanks, everybody. We love you. Keep deconstructing. When I look into the face of my enemy I see my brother, I see my brother When I look into the face of my enemy I see my brother, I see my brother
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.